welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabelle Graham. Welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how we need to show up and be as leaders. Reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, our teams and our organisations. Today I'm joined by certified mindfulness and insight timer app teacher, coach, author and inspirational speaker Christoph Spiesens. Christoph works with teams and organisations to bring secular mindfulness teachings to employees across all sectors and all levels in a practical and usable way. This enables positive outcomes that ripple through the organisation but also help outside of work. Christoph, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us on The Being Leader. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. So it'd be really great to get, to find out a little bit from you about, you know, how, what your background is and how you got to, to where you are now. Gosh, that's an, uh, a bold opening question. Yeah, um, question for you to run through. You can <laughs> wherever you fancy. <laughs> the long story short is that I was born and raised in Belgium. So in case people are wondering where the exotic accent is from. Um, but I've been in the UK for almost 20 years and 18 of those in Manchester. So the monk twang kicks in at random times. Um, so it's a bit of a crossover accent and it's a bit of, in terms of life experience, it's, an, it's also a bit of, of a crossover mix between careers in the airline industry. Um, I used to work for the Belgian National Airline, but they went under after the events of 9-11, which is why I came to the UK because, because I was cabin crew at the time. And that's kind of all I knew how to do and I enjoyed doing. And I enjoyed traveling the world and meeting people and people from different cultures and visiting all these wonderful places. And that's what I wanted to carry on doing. And so I learned that Japan Airlines, who have a base at Heathrow Airport, were looking for multi-European language speaking cabin crew. And I was a good match at the time and spent a further two years working um, as cabin crew for them. And it was in Japan um, so many, many years ago where I had my first introductions to Buddhism and in a way mindfulness as well, because I, I, I really did not. Um, kind of understand that at the time in the way that I do now but with hindsight I could see that that really that time was a very rich time for me um, because one is very lonely as cabin crew it sounds like a very social job and it can be but because of jet lag and and the constant traveling you you get lonely you get tired and you do find yourself spending a lot of time by yourself and so Japan is this weird and wonderful and beautiful place where that can hold space for a, a lonely uh, or a lone traveler, so to speak. And so I was forever visiting the temples and, and the sacred spaces and, and places. And um, so I'm sure that we, we can uh, kind of circle back to this at some point in the conversation. But then after, the, after my stint with Japan Airlines, I started my 15-year career in learning and development because I had had enough of flying. The jet lag uh, got the better of me and yeah. it was time to find a, you know, um, a job, feet firmly on the ground, pardon the pun. And um, I became, became a soft skills trainer, so focusing on customer service and then later 
leadership development um, in a contact center for a very well-known Middle Eastern based airline who also right. have offices across the UK. I was wondering if you'd started <laughs> in the airline industry and moved over because it's that natural transition of if staying within the industry often allows you to transfer the type of role focus that we have. Correct. So although it was a very different role, it was um, the same industry and then worked my way up the corporate ladder, so to speak, and became a learning and development manager for another company after that. And then I started my own training and coaching consultancy about five and a half years ago. So that's me in a nutshell. And the the type of workshops that i deliver these days th there has been a shift it used to be your traditional conventional soft skills training like i said but now i focus predominantly on helping people with the wonderful concept tool whatever one wishes to call it that is mindfulness so i noticed you you helpfully omitted where that came into the the journey so tell us, tell us about how you came across that mindfulness and, and why it's become important to you. Mm. So this is a, this is an interesting question because it's not something that just happens as, as a one-off. I found that, or I have found that mindfulness the way I, I practice it today and the way I share it with people is really the, the sort of not so much end result, but the current result of a collection of a series of events in my own life that have um, really made me look into who am I as a person? Why am I here? What is my purpose? How can I best help myself um, in moments of you know, moments of anxiety, for example, what do I need more of? What do I need less of? What's helpful for me, for my mind? What's helpful for my, my mind-body-spirit connection? And so what I do today is really the, the you know, like I said, kind of the result of, of bringing all of that together. Um, we need to go back to when I was a 10 year old child though. And I appreciate that what's coming up next is, is perhaps a little bit um, sensitive for, for some listeners, but I was um, sexually abused for two years by a man who was uh, much, much older than me and he was in a position of authority. And that was really the, without going into that because that, that's not, not necessary, but that was really what put me onto the path of spiritual inquiries like why does this happen to me why does this happen to other people why do good people experience bad things in life and so that was really the first kind of um event big event in my life which was followed by other not so pleasant um events which we all have we we have that common humanity as it is called we we all experience pain and deep sadness and and trauma or at least most of us do um, but as I've grown older, I've realized that there was also, there was always something, something missing. And for a long time, it was 
uh, my focus on practical spirituality that helped me to make sense of bad events, good events as well, um, and helped me to explore topics such as who am I really? Am I more than who I see in the mirror? Am I perhaps a soul on a journey? Are the people I meet in my life, like this conversation that I'm having with you today, is that kind of, is that fate? Is it um, a freak occurrence? Is it, um, is it going to be helpful to other people and will that establish new connections? So I was always kind of looking at the, the, the bigger picture and through spirituality, I was beginning to make sense of life and my life. But it, talking to, to many people and doing my workshops um, and, and looking at my own life, about two years ago, I realized that the spirituality alone was no longer doing its magic. And it's re I, I can't believe I'm saying this. And actually, I think this is a, the very first time that I'm verbalizing this on a podcast. There was a need for more, and that need was um, mindfulness. And I didn't know it, but it would soon reveal itself to me. And what I mean by need is that there was this tremendous desire in my life to simplify my life again. And looking at the world around me and, and people and the state of the world and the state that people find themselves in, which on the outside is often very, very appealing and, and very wonderful and all the bells and whistles, but on the inside, it's actually very often, it's a different story. And I felt that people were also looking for something to, to ground themselves in, something to hold on to. And that was not too dissimilar for myself. And then mindfulness came on my path again, and then something clicked into place. And I was like, ah, ah, okay, now everything is beginning to make sense. And I can relate to, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago, and now, and I can bring it all together. And so that's where I am now. And that's a very long answer to your question, but I just feel like it, um, a little bit of background is helpful mm. when you listen to someone talk to why they do what they do because these days everyone is and that includes myself everyone is on the mindfulness bandwagon and I'm very aware of that mm. so I always like to share a little bit um, why it is important yeah. and why it's helpful thank you I appreciate that and I think understanding that you know you said this this started back way back in my childhood and I think Hmm. Often we don't recognize that a lot of our behavior and a lot of the way that we're working or the decisions that we're making or the filtering that our mind is doing hmm. is based on behavior traits that served us well way, way back hmm. that actually might not be serving us very well now. So actually that dialing into focus and starting to notice why yeah. am I doing what am I do what yeah. I'm doing where did I learn to do that and why is it now serving me or is it not serving me becomes really useful mm. and so that, absolutely that and you, presence piece the presence piece and and learning to recognize patterns and and mm. cycles and 
than undoing and unlearning. Yeah, and that's so difficult. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, finding right. the right replacement to get rid of the previous behavior that we often are. And sometimes we don't want to let those go either. Mm. Well, in, in this is a big word I'm about to drop it in a way. It's an addiction. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that with love because I'm actually talking to my self-reflection, you know, so to speak. It's, yeah. it's, an, it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. it's, it's grooves in the brain, literally. Yeah. Um, pathways that we have created. Um, and so it's, it's, it's challenging to, to undo that. Mm. Um, and that is one of the many ways why I find mindfulness so helpful. It's, mm. it, it doesn't deny or ignore what's been or what is even. But it, it's about looking at what has been and what is with or through a lens of self-compassion and patience and it's it for me it was a huge game changer and the peace and calm that that potentially brings is again i'm hearing myself say this and and it's weird coming from someone who was on the self-help barricades for years and fireworks motivational training and then you know go 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 and and busting through limited beliefs and this and that. And now I, I have, yeah, I have changed. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a much more compassionate approach. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't not believe in conventional motivational and inspirational training, but we have to, we have a responsibility to our um, audiences to make sure that it's authentic, that it's real. And that it's not just a sticky plaster. That that would be my 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 observation about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we, we've we've talked a little bit about mindfulness, but I'm conscious there's going to be some people listening who don't who know the term. <laughs> what is this spookiness? Exactly. Yeah. What's the witchcraft? Mm. Um, and 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 in that actually probably have a whole load of myths and definitions of what it is or it is yes. which could on could be or could not be right mm. so and do, and do i need my meditation cushion and do i need the incense yeah and what are and, those weighted yeah. blanket bits oh. and those are very um valid questions <laughs> so so how would you if you would how would you describe mindfulness to someone who's coming at it going, okay, explain this to me in a simple, practical way that I can understand. Great question. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to, to, to unpack this. Mm. In the spirit of mindfulness, I will keep this as simple and straightforward as I can. Okay. But then I said that about the previous three questions and look how <laughs> that ended. <laughs> look, mindfulness literally means to see clearly to see clearly. Now, what does that mean? Seeing a situation or a person or an event as it is without coloring in that situation with our own beliefs, prejudice, and all of that, which we do as human beings. It's a very natural thing to do. You see someone, you see an event, you see a notification on your phone, and you go into uh, reactionary mode 
Um, and that's evolutionary based and helpful. If there's a tiger, you run. Um, and you know, even today, if the fire, fire alarm goes off, you leave the building. But mindfulness is about creating some gentle breathing space. These are my own words now, between you and your thoughts, between you and the situation you find yourself in. And I'm going to stick with the fire alarm analogy for a moment, Annabelle, because even when the fire alarm goes off and you run, very often you could run down the wrong corridor and actually still find yourself in danger because of your doing the right thing, get out of this building kind of thing, behavior. But if you, okay, fire alarm goes off and you take a nanosecond to assess the situation and then respond rather than react, you can usually leave the building alive and in one piece. And I think it's a good, a good analogy to use because it's, it's very similar to how you can apply mindfulness in, in your everyday life, from business to your personal life and everything in between. Um, so yeah, it's creating a gentle breathing space. Um, if you want a slightly more um, clinical, academic, more well-known definition, um, let me go with the one from the wonderful John Kabat-Zinn, who is the creator of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, and really the, the, the Western father of mindfulness. He brought mindfulness into the mainstream as we know it. Um, and he says, mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention in a particular way. And that particular way is on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Lovely. Thank you for that. And I like, I like that breathing space between you and your thoughts. It's that time to pause. Mm. And in some ways, you know, as you said, we're, we're really good at short-circuiting. And, and I think it's, yes, it's conditioning. And some of those are conditioned thoughts from whatever set of behavior, whether it be work, learned behavior, childhood, learned behavior, habit, yeah. whatever it may be. But also there's the, the shortcutting that we take just to deal with things, which is where that judgment piece comes in. I think, which allows us to, to overlook sometimes reality of what yeah. is because we're skipping so quickly from those anchor points. So I like that breathing space to actually recognize where it is. So if you think about when you're working either, whether it be with organizations or with clients, yeah. how does this become useful for them? It's about upgrading your capacity, your capacity for empathy, your capacity for you have more tolerance, you have more compassion for others, you have um, more self-respect, you can self-regulate more when you do all of these things that extends to the way you relate to other people, which benefits the team, which ripples across the organization, which benefits the customer. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's an upgrade in capacity and that's, you know, everyone can fill in what capacity means for them, mm. but where you usually lose it, so to speak, that's where you want to apply some mindfulness. That would be a good place to start. 
And it can be simple things. You, I mean, I know people who lose it when they receive an email with the subject line message in capitals, uh, which can be entirely, could be entirely accidental, but it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to get fired. Um, I have, um, I can wake up in the middle of the night with say a bellyache, for example. And then the next thing I know is I'm planning my funeral. So it's kind of like, whoa, 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 slow down. And we all have, we, we all have these, um, yeah, these little gremlins. So, so in some ways, it's it's a practice that allows us, and this is my my words, mm. sort of just trying to interpret back what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. So it's a practice that allows us to put that coping mechanism in when we have those emotional triggers that send us into yeah. a psychological threat state. Yeah. That can be used as an interrupt in some ways. It's a safeguard. Yeah. Safeguard, nice. Yeah. And it sounds like for, for all the right reason, I think initially it sounds like perhaps hard work. It is something that we need to do. And that, you know, that brings me to the difference, which is a beautifully rich concept from the world of mindfulness, the difference between the doing mode and the being mode. And if it's okay with you, I would like to um, talk about this for a moment because Doing is not really about being active and completing tasks and, and you know, being ambitious. Those are necessary and wonderfully effective things. Doing is about us wanting a situation to be different. We, when we want to change something, and usually when we find ourselves being in the doing mode, we don't really like ourselves a great deal. Whereas when we can shift into the being mode with, with mindfulness or well, the being mode is a part of being mindful, you actually find yourself having that capacity to be with the situation as it is without needing to change it. And you find yourself loving yourself a, a great deal more than when you're in the doing mode. And that doesn't mean that you become complacent or that you lose all of your responsibilities and you, you, you begin loving everything that's really unacceptable. That's not what I'm talking to. I would like to give you a very succinct uh, example, if I may, um, based from my own experiences of moments of anxiety, because um, I'm, 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 um, I'm an empath and without wanting to go too woo-woo overboard, an empath is someone who is or, or can be... Um, sensitive to the energy of places and, and other people. And that's just, a, that's just a, that's just a thing. Um, so I could go to a restaurant, for example, and be with a group of people, friends or total strangers and feel unease or anxious. And then there are two ways about that. You can, you can fight it, which as you will have guessed, makes the situation worse. Mm and can lead to a full-blown fight or flight situation, um, which is really something you don't want to wish on your worst enemy because it's not pleasant. Um, But it's funny because the more I talk to people about this, the more people actually say, oh my God, I have that too. And I'm like, oh, well, there you go. That's the magic of talking about your your stuff. You know, that's the power of vulnerability. But Chris, you're so calm. I "I am calm, but I'm not a robot either. We all have 
you know, we, we are sensitive. We are not, um, we are not, not connected to the world mm. around us. Anyway, so I'm in a restaurant and then as soon as I feel that coming on, I invite myself into the being mode, which is like, hey, you don't need to change anything about the situation. You, you also can't change anything about the situation because this is a restaurant and it is a safe space and these are nice people. Mm-hmm. And why don't you just enjoy what is rather than needing something to be a certain way. And then with that, there is this sense of self appreciation that comes back. Like I, I matter too in this group of people. Mm-hmm. It's not just them versus me. It's like, we are a group of people and I have something that I can contribute. And so before you know it, before you, you know it, with, with mindfulness, you create that capacity, you know, that, that for holding, holding yourself differently. Mm. And um, I find it very helpful. And that's why I, 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 I really thrive on sharing it with people. So, um, yeah, not doing, but being more. Mm. And I believe this is the title of your podcast as well. It is indeed. <laughs> It's interesting, as you were talking about that, two or three things came up for me. So one was around the, that, that being in the moment and recognizing the stuckness, as it were. You know, that, that uncomfortableness. The, that's there. The quicksand. Um, which, which, which is really difficult for people, and I think especially within the organizational context. And because that could be, you know, I don't get on with Fred or my boss is a pain in the backside or whatever it is and actually that's all judgment but it's that recognition of oh I need to have a conversation about this and I don't want to do it therefore Mm -hmm. we avoid because actually that it's uncomfortable so that recognize actually just recognizing sometimes that we find it uncomfortable and being willing to sit with it and voice it allows us in some ways to take an alternative view yeah you know so i wonder if it's even that piece about you know maybe pulling out and looking at this as the third party observer of going so what's going on here the second thing that came up as you were talking and this actually was linking to your um to your example that you shared and i wonder if in that in a situation like that if that's your anxiety or somebody else's anxiety in the group that you actually are tapping into from an energy point of view and picking up? Both, without a doubt, mm. without a doubt. But if I may briefly um, share something about this. Yeah. So for years, I was, gosh, and again, I'm putting my heart on the line here. Um, for years, I was like, oh, I'm an empath and I'm so sensitive and da, da, da. And now I'm like, yes, I'm still an empath, but that doesn't mean I can blame other people for that. <laughs> To see what I mean, it's a, oh, yeah. there's a great there's a great difference, and I have found myself in more than one argument with fellow empaths, um, because guess what? It turns out on some level we are all empaths. Like I said, we are all connected, and the way that the the, the world is going at the moment, we are more beco- we're all becoming more sensitive mm-hmm. to one another. Um, so you need to take responsibility for that. Absolutely, I and have- mindfulness can help. Because yeah. it's compassion towards others, but also towards self. Mm. You heard of systemic constellations? I have. Yeah. 
so I I I can't I do I use constellations quite a bit. And I think when I first went through my constellations training, um, you know, you go to the first and and, and constellations. For those listening, it's very much about when you're working with the forces within the system within a group of people, and actually what you're doing is you're tapping into it somatically so you're tapping into the energy that is there within the group and understanding what that might be or where it might sit so the first time you go to an open workshop it looks a bit like witchcraft you know because people are literally voicing somebody else's thoughts and process by tapping into the energy that they're producing um, but by the second part of it, I discovered that unfortunately I, I've got a very high degree of, of emotional control, so I can switch it on and off like a tap. And I think for years it ignored the fact that I can tap into it exceedingly easily because it's so odd mm. when you do. Um, and that's very much the, the piece that you were describing, you know, that's that ability to um, pick up on other people's yeah. um, on the energy and the feelings that's going on. So I could pick up, for example, tension Mm. and it might sit like I've got a really sore neck or, you know, especially now when we're all in Zoom meetings, you're sat there (laughs) and and you think, God, I've obviously been sat here for too long. And I've had this in workshops recently where I'd I'd said to um, the person I was co-delivering with, do you know, I had had such a sort of stiff, stiff neck last night by the time we'd finished it. And we were going into day two with the same group. And then I sat there and thought, no, I felt fine when I sat down this morning. I've just developed this. This has nothing Mm -mm. to do. This is this is the group. Mm. And that awareness of in the moment when something's going on, of being able to notice. Yeah. And disassociate yeah. and notice as it is, is, is something that's very useful, but rarely done. I'm really grateful you brought this up, Annabelle, um, because as I mentioned earlier, the mindfulness in my life today is the result of many different dots connecting, right? Mm. And one of the last dots um, is more recent, like I said, about two years ago, where, and it so inconveniently happened when I was really becoming successful in my own business, um, working with larger groups of people, a bigger stage here and there, and, you know, things things were beginning to pick up. And with that came the heightened sensitivity to everything. And I was like, oh my God, why now? Like, um, more people, so that, more energy. More people, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That. But also, so that's the that's the not blaming, blaming kind of piece, oh, yeah. but also the the, the 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 days leading up to the event, the rumination, the anxiety building, the the mind thinking. You know, who do do you think you are? Uh, what are you doing? The imposter syndrome, the whole shebang, right? We all know about that. Um, and th- that really was like, I need to get a grip on, on this. I, I want to get a handle on this. And um, I, I, ter- I returned to mindfulness or mindfulness came onto my path once more. And then really everything kind of clicked into place beautifully because... Why am I saying this? Because one part of mindfulness that I really um, appreciate, again, this is not something that I would have said five years ago, um, far from, um, is the neuroscience of of mindfulness. 
And I know you and I had a little conversation before we started recording today's podcast, but you mentioned um, you were reading something on the topic of mirror neurons. Mm. And indeed, um, just to briefly share this with, with, the, with the listeners in case they don't know, but because I didn't know, mirror neurons really are what make us yawn when we see somebody else yawn, for example, or we, we cry when we see other people cry, et cetera, et cetera, or you're more likely to do so. And there is a there is a proven link between um, empaths and their more highly developed mirror neurons. So that was the the woo woo becoming more c- clinical, more more real, more mundane. And I was like, do you know what? <laughs> but this is actually really helpful because yeah. I am I am even I do consider myself a spiritual being, which I believe human beings are we are a spiritual being having a human experience. And as part of that, so, so why do we try to run away from that all the time? We are, we are a human being. And with that comes a mind, with that comes a brain, with that comes an energy system that is around us. So why not explore that a little bit more? And I find, and I know people can't see this, but what I'm doing with my fingers is kind of, I'm drawing three circles. And it's, for me, mindfulness is, is, the, is the intersection of spirituality of neuroscience and well-being and it's that sweet spot that's where i find mindfulness because you can make it as woo-woo or as clinical as you wish and 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 there's an invitation to explore that on your own terms with with someone who can help you Mm. you and in some ways it's it's where the comfortableness is for people yeah depending on which side that they're coming from yeah and you know and if we went back what 12 14 years we wouldn't have all the neuroscience science research because most of it wasn't there no correct mainly just because we hadn't you know clinically it hadn't hadn't got that far down the line but being able to give i think often you know in our world of lnd we use we use models we use concepts because they're a skeleton that allows people to make sense of things yeah you know it's that structure that allows me to understand that concept in a logical way because that in my brain is I think I'm being logical all of the time even though you know you and I know we, you're not <laughs> 95% of it is emotion it's the little inner chimp having it having a having a field day um, but it, it, it makes people feel better because they think it's logical so that's fine <laughs> You know, you're right. And you mentioned the word chimp. Do you know, <laughs> you, you, uh, many listeners will be familiar with um, the Chimp Paradox book, yeah. which I haven't I talk, read. I talk but about it a lot. I, I have it here. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I, I've, I've held it in my, yeah, but wait, I've read the kids version of that book, My, oh, hid, yeah. my Hidden Chimp. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm a bit of a visual learner and um, which is weird because now I'm, studying for a master's degree in mindfulness. So it's like, yeah, go figure. Uh, like I said, the whole spectrum, right? But something, something needs to put um, you on the, on, the, on, the, on the path of exploration and, and something needs to lower the threshold. And for me, it was that book because I, it made it very clear, like there's something going on over there. Befriend it, befriend oh, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I've, I've, I've been known to, it's, it's, it's a model I, I explore. Usually at some point in, co- in, in a coaching program, 
and usually always in a leadership program we'll we'll talk about it because it gets people to start to understand why you do what you do mm. but i've been known to when when we have a particularly um active chimp shall we say um people have drawn it yeah. so we've actually created a whole picture and image of it and you know because by manifesting that i can deal with it better absolutely um naming it giving it a you know an, an image um whatever works for people but but some yeah yeah something to make it more concrete absolutely so i know you part of the work that you do is mm. mindfulness within teams that's right so tell me a little bit more about how that and and how you how you go and introduce that into that <laughs> context because i I'm, I'm thinking about some of the teams i work with and think yeah i mean they know i'm they all think annabelle's a little bit bonkers at the best of times mm. possibly might look at me strangely if i went in with that so talk to me more about that <laughs> so you see you and i seem to have similar brands in that you you're, you're a bit bonkers to use your words um <laughs> I have directors who literally, um, that there's, there's this one wonderful person who says, Chris, I need you to come in and do your stuff. And he still can't put his finger on it, but he knows it works. Yeah. And that, that's like my brand. Chris, let him do his stuff. Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, so the first part of your question, um, why does it work? How is it helpful to teams, perhaps? Um, well, if you can understand yourself better through mindfulness, then you can understand the people on the team better. And you can see the bigger picture, you know what frustrates you, what drives you, you help, you begin to see that in other people. All of you on the team become more responsive and less reactive and things blossom from there. So that would be the first answer to that question. Um, you can all be in the being mode more often, you know, that again, that doesn't, it sounds uh, contradictory to being productive and being creative. And no, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. When you are in the being mode, that empathy flows, the creativity flows, the productivity will follow as a result. Whereas um, some people perform very well under pressure. There's different types of pressure, usually in an office environment. Can I say that very often? It's the wrong type of pressure. It's it's the 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 forced, suffocating, goals obsessed pressure, and I, and I get it. Businesses need to make money, um, but they would make money more, more money and and faster. I think um, with a more mindful approach. Mm. So, and then your second question: How do I present it to businesses? Mm -hmm. Um, interestingly, most people seem to find me through the kind of content that, that I post on, on my social media channels, including LinkedIn. And they get a feel for who you are and what you stand for. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, um, you know, how you present that. Does it, is, it just, is it just something fluffy or does it come fluffy with backed up with some science and does he or she knows what they are talking about? And I think that's, it's striking that balance that people find inspirational. So that is usually my foot in the door, so to speak. Mm. Or people have listened to um, my, my own podcasts or they've read my books because um, I've got two books out. And so it's a combination of those things. Or they can hear you 
um, give a talk and maybe they sit in the back of the room and then they want to learn a little bit more about you. I, it's changing, but it's not really that um, it's call after call after call. Chris, can I can you come and book? Uh, can I book a mindfulness workshop for my team? No, we're not quite there yet. Um, but it's it's beginning to change because mindfulness is becoming more well known, mm. um, and it's also offered through the NHS, by the way, uh, as as you probably know, in, in the yeah, form yeah. of uh, MBCT, mindfulness based cognitive therapy. Um, and and I don't do that. I'm I'm not a clinical therapist, but I mean it's it's getting a lot more credence. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, fortunately and unfortunately, decision makers need to see a projection of the return on their investment. They want to see, and it goes through a process as we both know. But I think, um, I think this, this year, especially in some ways, it's, it's been, have you noticed it's interest has been dialed up? Yes, I had, I, I had a very, um, Clearly, I've not processed it yet <laughs> because I had, I had a, 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 you know, someone who's rather well known in their field of expertise say to me, "What you do is essential, but it's not a priority." And my heart sank a little bit in that moment. And what he meant was, businesses don't have budgets for the well-being stuff right now because businesses are trying to survive this 2020 year. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? That 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 sucks, but I get it and I understand it. So I applied mindfulness to it. I was like, I I I meet you with compassion here in this moment because what's the alternative? Being frustrated, that's not going to help anyone. Um, so I think the balance is tipping in favor of more well-being initiatives, but it's really important in my opinion to to um, to to bring mindfulness and interventions or initiatives to the organization in the right way and not just in a you know it has to be in a, in a I'm looking for the right word here so I'm going to stop doing that because I'm in the being mode in the doing mode right now I'm going to shift to the being mode uh, it has to be in a way that is that is respectful of the audience that it's looking to serve and that's the teams and the individuals and if it's offered because it's a tick box exercise then it's the same thing as the you know the bowl of fruit in the staff canteen you need a bit more than that it needs to be more um more grounded yeah yeah so if we've got people listening who are thinking okay how I, I get that this is this is a breathing space. This is about noticing. It's about recognizing, in some cases, what's going on and measuring my response to that. So it's not an immediate reaction. So how do I go about practicing that? How do I learn mm. that? Well, I'm going to share a, an example that will be recognizable to, to all of us listening. Um, and it's, it's from, a, from, a, from a workshop that I'm actually um, delivering tomorrow to, to, to teams. Um, and it's about more mindful meetings. So if you want to be, if you want to practice mindfulness, why don't you start with being more mindful of how you show up for a meeting, for example. 
Um, and I'm not talking about, do I look good? Have I got fuel in my system? Is there a glass of water on the table? I'm, that's not what I'm talking to. That, that's helpful. Have I, got, have I got more than just my slippers on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the Zoom generation. Right? It is. Uh, <laughs> whole, different, whole different year of meetings this year. <laughs> but, and, and I'm also not just talking about, am I clear on the intentions and the objectives and the KPIs and everything that comes with performance reviews, meetings, for example, and all of that. It's, it's the, how am I showing up? What do I need? Where is my mind right now? Is my mind still with the previous meeting or is my mind with the meeting, not the next one, but the one after that, which I'd rather be at? Um, or is my mind already with the garage because I need to collect my car because it's had, a, it's had an MOT? Um, do I need to pick the kids up from school? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we the overactive mind, um, which is normal and it happens to all of us, the spontaneous activation of the mind. Um, but how well do you manage that? Because it will literally sit in the way of you being present and showing up and holding space for that person or the people you're about to meet with. Um, so start with that, you know, how, 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 how am I managing this short breathing space between the meeting that's just been and the one that's about to happen? Um, and then do that again after that meeting. And throughout the meeting itself, be mindful of where your mind wanders off to. Because um, it does. I mean, <laughs> studies have proven that the mind spends about, it's almost 50%, 50% of the time, not in the now moment. So it, that's scary. It's like half of the time you're not being present. Um, so yeah, I think that would be um, a, a, a concrete example of how you can be more mindful. Mm. And I think a really nice one, especially with the with the back to back video call fatigue mm. that I think the world has moved into, you know, in theory, working for home was a great idea, but we haven't changed our habits for how we run meetings. We just do the same thing. Yes. And because we are so more easily accessible, we think we need to be available in equal measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're not, it may come with a sense of guilt you know, uh, all of that, um, which, which I'm sure we can all relate to. Absolutely. Um, there was, I can't recall the name of the person, but I heard only a few weeks ago, a beautiful metaphor for this space between meetings. And that person said to me, or I heard it somewhere, I can't, it doesn't matter. In the olden days, when we listened to records, between songs, there's this bigger groove that creates that space. Whereas now on iTunes and all of that, anything digital, one song goes straight into the next song and then the one after that. So it's about how can you be, how can you bring back that groove between two activities mm. in your day? And I thought, you know what, that is so beautiful. It is. And I would add on there, how do you get, mm. how do you also get the dead static at the end of the first side? Uh -oh. And how does that not freak you out? Yeah, oh. because silence is a scary thing to many people. I know. It's, uh, there's, there's two bits when I end up training sort of either managers as, uh, to coach mm -hmm. or um, 
new coach practitioners, which I, I don't get to do anywhere near as often as I, as I like. Um, but there's two things I say to them is one is you really got to get comfortable with silence and not speaking and just shut up. And the second is at some point when you're sat with a client, even though we're, you know, we as coaches are supposed to be amazingly focused, going back to your 50% of the time your yeah. brain is there. At some point in the middle of a coaching session, you will sit there and you will have no clue what that person has been saying for the last five minutes because you have just lost attention. Mm-hmm. And it's having that elegant little phrase that you can just bring back in <laughs> to recontinue the conversation without showing that you weren't listening. That you were on Mars, yeah. <laughs> exactly, that you actually were going through the Tesco shop in your head mm. <laughs> or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because we are human. Mm. We can't, as much as we would love to be there 100% of the time, it's not all doable. So if you were to give one or two tips mm. to people, as we wrap up our conversation today, to go into their working day a little more mindfully, what would they be? Try it. That's the first one. As in, you know, mindfulness is intentionally paying awareness, you know, to the present moment. Paying attention, sorry, not paying awareness. So do it with intention. And whether that is making the bed or preparing your next keynote, be aware of your, 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 you know, your why. And don't overanalyze it but you will find that it will keep you more in the now moment and it will stop the mind from wandering. So, so have, yeah, have a, have a, have a play with that. Um, other things is to mindful up a routine task. Um, when you brush your teeth, for example, which is something that you more than likely do on autopilot i.e. you don't think about what you're doing, which is actually really scary when you think about that. You do so much on autopilot. Um, and some of that is great, like breathing, for example. If you had to consciously be mindful of every breath that you take all day long, you would have, you know, you would have died 30 years ago because exactly. you can't keep that up. And yet it's wonderful when you do spend a few minutes with the breath, but that's, that's a different conversation. Um, although that could be one of these things that you could mindful up like I'm going to sit for a few minutes and just follow my breath in and out, in and out, without changing that breath, just following its natural rhythm. If that feels comfortable to you, I, I have to say, because it's not um, for everyone. Um, but it's a way of reconnecting with, with your body and with yourself. And it's a way of bringing that mind to the now moment instead of your Tesco shopping list. Um, but to come back to brushing your teeth. So I'm about to pick up my toothbrush and actually I'm aware that I'm picking up this toothbrush. Huh. Holding this toothbrush, what does it feel like? What does that, of course, never realize it's actually quite plasticky. No, is this plastic? No, it's kind of like a rubbery plastic. Mm-hmm. What is this? So using the senses 
if you want to sniff your toothbrush, by all means, go ahead and sniff your toothbrush. Um, you know, if you want to rattle it, see if it makes a sound. Anyway, you get, you know what I mean? Just use your, apply your senses. And when you do that, you, again, you bring the mind back to that moment. But do it without judgment. That's the key and very often overlooked um, um, cornerstone of mindfulness is without judgment. This is, this is a toothbrush. This is not like an, an ugly, awfully short, long, soft, hard toothbrush. No, no, it's a toothbrush. And that's where the story ends. And see how you can actually stay with just that toothbrush and how hard that is. And um, do, do this, you know, re repeat throughout the, 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 the brushing process until you put the toothbrush away again. And then try that for when you, when you put the kettle on for a, cup, for a cup of coffee and be with that experience. Normally what you do when you put the kettle on is you're doing a million other things, often to the point where you've actually forgotten why you were in the canteen or in the kitchen in the first place. So yeah, again, long answer to a, a short and useful question, but it's about mindfulling up a routine task. Start with that without the judgment. I like the mindfulling up. Mm. <laughs> and when we're out, all out, allowed out again, you know, after these lockdowns, uh, see how you how you fare when you are in contact with people again in in the queue at the supermarket or when you're in traffic. And this lady who's just, or this guy or whoever it is who's just cut you up, cut 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 in front of you in in the traffic. See how you see if you notice your reaction, which is usually not a very pretty one. Now, where, where does that come from? And how does that reaction help me? Ah, do you know what? It comes from the fact that actually my 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 brain is literally trying to protect me here. It is a, it's a it's a reaction, it's a natural, helpful, limbic-driven reaction because I was in a position of danger for a moment but I am no longer in that situation of danger. So am I now going to still call that person an X, Y, Z? Or am I going to respond to the situation and just say, that was funny, I reacted. It was helpful, but it was not necessary. And I can let it go. And as you begin to do that more and more, your reactionary also becomes uh, more and more fine-tuned, so to speak. Because the idea is not to not become reactionary. It's it's necessary and life and life um, saving. Yes. But it's how you manage it. You know? Which is where the breathing piece comes in. Yeah. So do, do those examples do. make sense? Yeah. They do, absolutely. And if you want to explore meditation, mindfulness meditation, then that is um, definitely something I would highly recommend. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be the start of your mindfulness journey. And I think it can, it, 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 it draws, draws many people to mindfulness, but it also puts people off exploring mindfulness, I think, because meditation sounds very esoteric, very Eastern, very, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be that. It can be. Yeah. And mindfulness, of course, has very rich connections to, to Buddhism. But you can, uh, yes, you can practice it in a secular way you it is perfectly possible yeah, yeah. and i think it, it, it's finding the routine that's comfortable for others for each person absolutely yeah, yeah. 
and you've definitely given some great examples there. So if people want to find um, out more about you, where should they connect with, with either your, your writings or your podcasts or whatever? So I suppose the website is a good place to start, christophspeasons.com. If you want to explore some secular and safe and gentle mindfulness meditations, you can find them on the website or on the Insight Timer app where I have a teacher profile um, and of course, LinkedIn and other social media. Fabulous. Well, look, Chris, thank you for joining us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've really loved it. We've gone round the houses and varying different, different routes and it's been really good. So thank you for coming on. Thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. So this episode is going to be our last for a while because we're going to take a break over Christmas. And I really wanted to end on the theme of mindfulness to get people to think about actually just taking some time out to reconnect, to focus after a year which has tested people in so many ways. And if this episode's been useful, then why don't you go back and check out some of the previous ones which we've discussed on a similar theme. So reflection, resilience with Sarah Jones, or being useful with Joss Burton. I'd like to wish you all the very best for 2021 and thank all of my guests who've joined me over the last six months. And we'll see you in the next series. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 